0: Welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Spogs.
1: And I'm Scott Eisenberg.
0: And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we
1: do, that we do.
0: And this week I showed Scott a classic film. One that I was very excited to show Scott because I knew that he would really like it. And this movie is what, Scott? Cool Hand Luke. Released in 19... 1967. So we're going back in time to the groovy 60s.
1: Oh yeah, baby, groovy.
0: This movie is starring Paul Newman, who is an actor we've had on the show before when we did Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I was particularly excited to show Scott this movie because I knew he would enjoy it, and uh, I I think I was right in saying that. Was, was I right, Scott?
1: Yes, you, you were definitely right in saying that. It's a movie I've always wanted to see, and I think a lot of the times when I watch older movies, usually the problem is they can be very slow.
0: Yes. Pacing generally in older movies is slower than it is now. But I
1: don't feel like that with this movie. It's
0: a slower pace, but I never felt bored of it. At one point in the movie, Scott looked at me and he's like, so, what's the plot? (laughs) And I was like, well... There's not really, like, a set goal for most of the movie. It's really just observing this lifestyle of this character, Luke, as he's trying to get through his time in prison.
1: And Paul Newman portrays this amazingly.
0: Oh, yes. He was nominated for an Oscar for this role. This movie is highly acclaimed. It was added to the National Film Registry in 2005. It was nominated for four Oscars total. It was nominated for Adapted Screenplay. It was also nominated for the score, which I really love the score in this movie.
1: Yeah, the score is very good. There were a couple moments where I was like, hmm, that's a uh, choice.
0: For the-. Yes, Scott had a complicated relationship with the score. We're going to talk a little bit about the score when we get into the nitty gritty. But it was also, like I said, nominated for Lead Actor for Paul Newman. It also won for a supporting actor for Ted Kennedy, who played Dragline. Real, uh Okay. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I, I, Are I, you surprised by that? That he won? That he won, yes.
1: He did a very good job. Mm-hmm. It's just because of what the supporting actor category has basically become another lead category almost nowadays, that it's almost weird to see like I I have to remove myself from today's Oscars
0: well yes I mean especially the last Oscars we had where the whole supporting and lead thing with Daniel Kaluuya was a whole big controversy so I get what you're saying but I think that Ted Kennedy winning for this performance I think is a, a great testament to a truly Solid supporting performance because his performance, while it's obviously not as big as Paul Newman's performance, because Paul Newman is the main star, the main crux of the film, Ted Kennedy's character truly does support Paul Newman's character and bring out the best in him.
1: Yes, I, I 100% agree with that.
0: So, this movie was directed by Stuart Rosenberg who also directed the 1979 Amityville horror film.
1: Was that the first one? The second one? The 17th one? The 21st one?
0: And it was written by Don Pierce, who also wrote the original 1965 novel. And he wrote the novel after spending two years on a chain gang himself after being sentenced to go there for safe cracking. So a lot of the things that were in the book, which I read by the way, of course, because you know, I'm a book nerd over here. But a lot of the stuff that happened in the book as well as the movie either happened to him in real life or happened to somebody else. Like it's based a lot off of real experiences. And also because Don Pierce co-wrote the screenplay, the movie does end up being very loyal to the book. The screenplay was also co-written by Frank Pearson, who wrote such movies as Dog Day Afternoon and A Star is Born.
1: Yeah, so you have a very good pedigree here.
0: Yes, it, it is understandable why this movie was nominated for screenplay. And I, I also <laughs> just want to share like a stupid little story, because obviously, before I had ever seen this movie, I wanted to see it because it's a classic, but also i wanted to see it for another really dumb reason so when i was a teenager i one summer went to this theater summer program in the city it was basically like a a week-long summer camp situation and there were counselors who were like in their 20s and one night we had this like mixer situation and one of our counselors was behind the bar making quote-unquote cocktails but obviously we were teenagers so he wasn't making like alcoholic cocktails and he made a cocktail i know the story is random and it seems out of place but it's getting somewhere he made a cocktail (laughs) called the cool hand luke which i did not understand the reference of (laughs) at the time but he made a cocktail called the cool hand Luke which was if I remember correctly a mixture of ginger ale and fruit punch which if I also remember correctly was really good (laughs) it must have been because I still fucking remember it years later so if anyone out there wants to make a cool hand Luke either alcoholic or otherwise just take some ginger ale and fruit punch I would assume vodka would probably go best with that. Yeah, probably. Because vodka goes with everything. And (laughs) mix it up and have yourself a time and watch Cool Hand Luke. So do you want to just get right into the nitty and the gritty?
1: Yeah, let's get right into the nitty and the gritty.
0: So we start off immediately meeting our main character, our main squeeze, Luke Jackson, played by Paul fucking Newman.
1: And he's drunk as a skunk.
0: Drunk as a skunk, but still sexy as fuck.
1: <laughs> we we actually, jokingly, right before we were going to watch this movie, we were talking about in our kitchen with my mother-in-law going, who would you rather have, Paul Newman or Robert Redford? Frankie had Paul Newman. Me and uh, my mother-in-law agreed, Robert Redford.
0: But I still really do love Robert Redford, but I don't know, man. I just, that Paul Newman, man.
1: Well, your mother always said those, those eyes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's all it's all in the eyes. Window to the soul and all that. So he's yes, he is drunk as a skunk and he is running through town
1: taking the heads off parking meters.
0: Yes. And he immediately gets cornered by the cops and arrested and he is sentenced to 2 years on a chain gang in a prison camp doing road work
1: and which is crazy to me because I feel like very shortly after this, we find out that Paul Newman's a war hero. He had the Purple Heart, Silver Stars. He didn't advance anywhere in rank. They said like, he comes in a buck private and left a buck private. Right. So it's very crazy to me that this war hero mm-hmm. is sentenced to two years in prison. I feel like they would have most likely let him slide on this because of his record. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would have got two years in prison.
0: Right. Well, it kind of implies that he's been troubled for a while. Because you know, if you have one drunken disorderly or whatever, you're not gonna get two years in prison. I mean, I don't know, but I don't think in the 50s even you would have gotten two years in prison for that.
1: Well, I, he wasn't. I don't think he was for the drunken disorderly. I think he got the two years technically for destroying municipal property.
0: Oh, right. You're absolutely right. Because later on in the movie, one of the prisoners makes a crack at him like, "Oh, what were you uh, brought in for destroying gumball machines?" Like, ho 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 And Luke makes a comment. Oh, yeah, I was just settling some old scores. So throughout the movie, there's a lot of hints that he is rebelling against authority. He's kind of bitter and resentful towards the man, you know? Yeah. And what I really love about this movie is that it doesn't like spell it out for you. No, that definitely It not. really takes its time to build this character from the ground up and let you get to know him as an audience, you know?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. It definitely does that very well. So he, he goes to jail. Like It's a
0: prison camp. Yeah. It's, it's like summer camp, but prison.
1: <laughs> yeah. They, they're talking to Luke, and I found it interesting that they brought that point up, though, that he was a war hero, but he didn't advance in the rank at all. So I'm like, okay, so this guy, hey, as Frankie said, is against authority, but also seems to lack motivation, a push to, like, advance himself in any way. Like, he's just kind of gliding through life almost. Yes,
0: definitely. When we get to the prison camp, we meet our warden, who everyone calls the captain, we meet our head guard, boss Godfrey, who the prisoners call the man with no eyes because he doesn't talk at all, and he wears these mirrored sunglasses. Yeah, which are are used a lot as a visual piece in the movie.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a great shot when Luke's on the bus and the chain gang's on the other side of the road, and the shot is directly on Godfrey's glasses as he watches the truck coming on one side and the chain gang on the other, representing that he's always watching.
0: I'm watching you, Wazowski.
1: Always watching.
0: And we also get introduced to the box, which the guards explain. We got strict rules around here, and if you break any of them, you spend a night in the box. And it's basically just like a small outhouse-looking thing out in the yard, It has limited air, very little room to move, and if one of the prisoners are being punished, they basically have to strip down into this, like, smock and just sit in there with a bucket in the darkness by themselves and just stew.
1: Yeah, and it's hot. Yeah, it's pretty
0: torturous. But uh, in the prison camp, we're introduced to some of the other prisoners, and Luke immediately kind of challenges the head alpha of the prison (laughs) dragline played by george kennedy as we mentioned before everyone kind of looks to him for direction at one point somebody says you don't have a nickname around here until dragline gives you one because everyone has a fucking prison nickname because that's also like a thing i feel like in every prison movie since this one like that's just a trope that everyone's got a nickname
1: (laughs) dragline yeah he's the alpha but paul newman like laughs at him doesn't take him all that seriously it's very interesting their dynamic how it grows throughout the movie
0: some of the other prisoners in this camp are are played by actors who we know and love that have appeared on shoot the flick before indeed Namely, we have Harry Dean Stanton as the prisoner named Tramp. And he has actually a pretty uh, decent side role in this picture. In a lot of integral scenes in the movie... He provides the musical accompaniment with his guitar on the side, singing spiritual hymns and stuff.
1: He actually has a decent voice. I actually yeah, love him. I've he never really heard does. Him. I've never heard him sing before.
0: But like- we we talked about him before when we talked about Alien and Pretty in Pink. He played the dad in Pretty yeah. in Pink. But we also I, this is one that I don't think you noticed because it's such a minor character. One of the prisoners who has <laughs> the stupidest nickname, Babalugatz.
1: Babalugatz?
0: Uh-huh.
1: Oh, that's, he's a... Ta-
0: Babalugatz! Eh? Yeah. Babalugatz! I think that's how they said it. It sounds very Italian, so I'm guessing that's right. He was played by Dennis Hopper, in one of his earliest film oh, roles. Oh, shit! A whopping 26 years before he played King Koopa in Super Mario Brothers movie.
1: Oh, that's the one we got? <laughs>
0: Well, that's the one we talked about, man. That's true. We, we talked about the Super Mario Brothers movie quite a while ago. If you'd like to, please check it out because that movie was a shit show. And you guys should know by now when we talk about shit show movies, we always have ourselves a fun time.
1: Oh, yeah, because it's always ridiculous.
0: But um, there's a lot of religious undertones and symbolism in this movie. Throughout the movie and the book as well. They are ever so clearly painting Luke Jackson as Jesus.
1: He's Jesus, but he also is willing to challenge God.
0: Right, yes. And also because as time goes on and he gains respect and adoration from the other prisoners he kind of becomes their messiah in a way. So in the characterization, as well as certain visuals, there are a lot of references to religion and Jesus and God. And we'll get to those as we go along. But as we move on, we get our first taste of the chain gang working on the roads together. We see the guards walking around, overseeing everything, carrying their rifles around. We see Luke working like a racehorse right out the gate. All the other guys are like, they have kind of this not lazy pace but kind of like a steady pace of working and Luke is just like hammering at this road and they're all like okay chill out dude like you're going to pass the fuck out and lo and behold in next scene there's a prisoner passing out from the heat because it's too much for him so it, it's a pretty uh difficult situation out there
1: Well there's also two other things I want to bring up here and they're both to do with dragline and the other prisoners First off, one of the new meat tries to sell his job for a cushier job, and he gets his ass kicked.
0: Yeah, and then ends up in the box because he was bitching and moaning.
1: Yeah, but Dragline also makes a bet that Luke will pass out at the pace he is running. Because betting is another big thing that happens throughout this movie.
0: Oh yeah, because in prison I would assume you don't really have a whole lot to do, so you gotta (laughs) make fun for yourself. I can understand that. (laughs) Gambling is fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's very true.
0: Remember that, kids. Gambling is fun.
1: Luke doesn't pass out, of course.
0: Yeah, yeah. Luke is a a strong motherfucker. But there's also one point where (laughs) they're out on the fucking road and there's this sexy buxom blonde lady that comes out in the house across the street and all the guys are ogling her. And fucking George Kennedy is just like panting after her, calling her Lucille. <laughs> He's like, she's so innocent and beautiful. She's got to be called Lucille. Dragline later on is talking about how gorgeous Lucille was. And Luke's over on the side like, okay, dude, shut the fuck up. Being, you know, smart ass with him. And Dragline challenges Luke to a boxing match. He's like, bitch, I am going to knock you out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because I, the reason I brought up the other moment before about the guy trying to trade his job for the kosher job is Dragline is like, new meat has to learn, and Luke looks at him and basically goes, Yeah, because the bosses need more help. Because that's his big thing, again. Like, these guys have all the power. Don't help them to punish the people who are already in here being punished. And I, I just, I thought it was a very good moment for Luke that made me really buy into him.
0: So when he has this boxing match with Dragline...
1: Oh, yeah. I totally thought this was going a different way. Oh, did you? I thought Luke was going to knock Dragline out.
0: Oh, okay. That's That's interesting.
1: I I thought that's what was going to happen like it was going to be a close fight but he was going to knock dragline out at the end and win the admiration of everybody but that's not what happens
0: yeah ultimately the result is the same i mean luke is clearly outmatched against dragline dragline's like a big hulking dude and luke is fit obviously but he's a little more wiry i guess but he is getting knocked the fuck out but every time he gets knocked out he keeps getting back up And he refuses to quit. After a while, it's just getting sad. (laughs) And Dragline refuses to continue the fight and walks away. It's a really strong moment, but this does earn the respect of the other prisoners. And, And it's really solidified when later on they're playing a poker game, Luke and some other prisoner. And he ends up bluffing his way to a win. And he says this line that's one of the best lines in the movie. He says,
1: Sometimes nothing can be a real cool hand.
0: Dragline then crowns him with his nickname, Cool Hand Luke.
1: It's a cool fucking nickname. It really is. Like
0: It is. But I love that line because it's so indicative of Luke as a character. Because, as we were saying before, he has this potential to be something bigger and better than what he is but he doesn't have the I guess the drive the drive or the motivation to really get there and he's just kind of coasting through life and some might say that he's a nothing
1: wasted potential
0: right and Luke basically in saying that line is like yeah I'm cool with that so after this scene we get a scene where Luke is visited at the camp by his sick mother, Arletta. And I really love this scene. It's it's a very heartfelt, complicated, emotional scene.
1: Yeah, because you could tell that both of them know that A, she's dying. And B, that Luke kind of doesn't care that he's really wasted his life. But
0: well, I don't doesn't know.
1: want to upset her.
0: Yeah, I don't know if he doesn't care. I think he... Deep down he cares, but he wants to just put on a front that he doesn't care because that's easier than admitting his true faults, you know what I mean? Well, the way he
1: puts it, like the army and prison, which is kind of funny that he he connects these two in his mind quite frequently, is he he basically says he's just doing it. To waste time.
0: Yeah, it's clear that like Luke has uh, a disconnect with most emotional connections. Like we were saying, he's just kind of coasting through because it's easier than trying and failing. I would assume, you know.
1: But you can also see though Paul Newman does very subtly show that there's a difference when he's talking to his mother.
0: Oh, definitely. You can tell that there is a complicated relationship there, but there's also a lot of love there. The mom even says at one point, you know, you're you're my favorite. <laughs> you know, some parents have their favorites and you're my favorite is basically what she says. And you can tell that he's trying to put on a front for her probably because she's sick and dying and she's suffering, you know, but you can tell that he feels shame that he's disappointed his mom. And you can tell in this conversation that they both kind of know deep down that this is probably the last time they'll see each other so certain lines have a little more gravitas to them when they're said like she says to Luke everywhere you go I'm with you and she she talks to him like you know what went wrong what what did I do wrong to have you end up like this and he keeps telling her like it's not your fault i made my own choices blah blah blah, blah. but she says I-, I know i can't do anything more for you you're a grown man now i i gotta love you and let go that's what she says and i'm like oh man it's it's really it's it's rough
1: yeah it, it definitely <laughs> but it's is. so
0: what i love about this scene is the lines are so simple but the performances just provide you with that background like you feel like these two people have a long complicated fucking history and you just feel it in this interaction
1: oh yeah well there's a reason paul newman is a legend and you can see it with moments just like this like it's not again this is not a big moment this is not like him making a grand speech in front of like everybody or something this is a small little moment and that's what makes legends in acting is these small little moments that are so impactful.
0: Yes. But that's, it's crazy you say that because this movie is filled with both big and loud moments and also those kind of small little moments. And he knocks it out of the park on both ends of the spectrum. So that's why this movie is so fucking good. But anyway, after this scene, we get another scene on the chain gang. And on this particular day on the road, the guards tell the prisoners they have to tar this entire road It's like a sweltering hot day, and it's a huge fucking undertaking.
1: Oh, yeah. Anybody who's worked highway stuff, it is brutal.
0: Yeah. And fun fact, in this scene, the actors actually did have to block top a mile-long stretch of highway for the scene. So they they were doing the work.
1: (laughs) But Luke pushes everybody to go faster. Yes. Get this done quicker.
0: Right. And what's interesting about this, too... This is the first real instance where you see Dragline becoming Luke's beta in a sense. Like he's really following Luke at this point. He went from head bitch to
1: second in command.
0: Yeah, because it's you never really see that in in movies anyway. You never it's more rare, I think, to see the typical bully, quote unquote, of a movie kind of dethrone himself in a sense. (laughs) You know what I mean?
1: usually when the bully gets the throne, he stays angry
0: right but at- he's like fine with it he's like luke please i worship at your altar
1: <laughs> yeah like i'm cool i'm fine
0: for you are my jesus ha 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 see jesus type references
1: yeah so they rush to like get this done they're going at a breakneck speed the guards are all confused like what's going on but they get this done they get it done with two hours to spare of their work time, Dragline looks at Luke and goes, what do we do now? He goes, nothing. Uh,
0: yeah, so this is around the time where Scott looked at me and was like, so what's the plot of this movie? <laughs> and I was like, there's really not a plot for this part. Well, at least the first half, it's really just observing life in this prison camp. Developing Luke's character and watching him rise up the ranks of this prison camp and have everyone kind of rally around him and yeah you know like I said it's really just taking its time and developing our main character and then once we get to a certain point and he is well and developed and as the audience we are like all in with his character then shit starts to get real but right now we just get a, a a string of Scenarios that let us know who Luke is and who he's becoming to these prisoners. For example, after this, we get <laughs> the fucking hard boiled egg scene. What's the hard boiled egg scene, you may ask? Well, I'll tell you. The prisoners are all in the bunkhouse and they're talking and they're like messing with each other and making jokes. Well, yeah,
1: and Dragline basically states he goes, my boy Luke here, because he, he, now he's referring to him as my boy oh, Luke. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My boy Luke here can eat anything. Anything. <laughs> no matter the amount. And he's like, 20 eggs, five. 30. And it looks like, I can eat 50 eggs.
0: What? <laughs> what did you say?
1: And now this becomes a bet throughout the camp that
0: you oh yes can't. everyone's got money on this fucking thing and they prepare it like it's the fucking super bowl they get all these eggs and they has to eat them in a certain amount of time and he can't throw up and it's all these rules and we get this fucking bet And they have a funny moment where Dragline is, like, peeling the hard-boiled eggs for him. And everyone's like, no, no, that's not part of the game. He has to peel his own eggs. And Dragline's like, I am the official egg peeler. No rules were stated against that. So that's what I am. Shut the fuck up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it it is really good.
0: But when I was doing my research, they, they said something about this particular scene that, like, made me want to fall over laughing. So... Apparently, 200, count them, 200 eggs were used for this scene. Paul Newman only had to eat eight of them. The rest were consumed by the rest of the cast and the crew. And apparently, according to reports, after this particular sequence was filmed, everyone was farting like the fucking symphony. Yep. <laughs> and... I, th- this scene grosses me out, man, because it's just these grown men shoving eggs <laughs> into Paul Newman's mouth.
1: Come here, I'm gonna eat you! I'm bigger than you, I'm higher in the food chain!
0: Get in my belly! Ugh.
1: I've had hard boiled eggs around like Easter, and I think I've eaten at, like a max eight, but damn, 50 eggs is a lot of eggs. <laughs> At one point he, I guess he's at like forty two. And they're like Dragon just putting more eggs in Paul Newman's mouth as Paul Newman is like laying flat on the table.
0: Yeah, and what's funny is when it's over, because he of course wins just by the skin of his teeth and everyone kind of like congratulates him and then backs off and like leaves him laying on the table to just recover from this stomach trauma that he has endured and we have one of the most iconic and obvious Jesus references where he is laying out on the table with his arms out splayed as if he is Jesus being crucified and it just kind of holds on that for a hot second and you're like ah I get it I get it he is Jesus He has sacrificed himself for our sins, and now he is suffering a la hard-boiled egg.
1: (laughs) A la that poop will be ridiculous later.
0: (laughs) I hope he puked that out, because my god. (laughs) His belly is like distended in the- oh, it's so gross. But anyway- We get another day on the chain gang. I love this scene too. There's a rainstorm and they have to close up shop early. They're getting back in the truck to go back to camp. And Luke and Dragline were talking about God or something. They were talking about religion and praying or something. And Luke basically says, I don't believe in God. And Dragline said, What are you talking about, Luke? And he starts screaming up into the heavens yelling at God challenging him he says let me know you're up there come on love me hate me kill me anything just let me know it and he waits a couple seconds hears nothing and then goes yeah that's what I thought and then gets back in the truck (laughs) so there are a lot of religious references in this movie about faith and believing in God and you know Is there a divine plan that God has set up for me or am I just a fuck up? That's basically what Luke is struggling with internally throughout this movie.
1: But it's also the rebelling against authority. If God's the highest authority, Luke would obviously rebel against
0: God. But that is a perfect segue into the next scene we have because we get another really beautiful, as Scott was saying before, quote unquote, little moment in this it's not a big bombastic moment like that but like the the god yelling scene but it is just a quiet tragically beautiful moment where Luke is informed via telegram that his mother has passed away and he slowly kind of just walks off into the bunk area and all the other guys leave just to give him some privacy and he pulls out a banjo
1: and sings rainbow connection no wait no no.
0: <laughs> no although that would be weird but he he sings a song called plastic jesus Going 90, I ain't scary cuz i got the virgin mary me that I won't go to hell. this scene where he is on his own playing the banjo singing Plastic Jesus. It was originally supposed to be shot earlier in the shoot, but Paul Newman insisted on learning the banjo himself so he could do it like in reality and not just fake it. So they delayed it multiple times until I think like one of the last days of shooting and It became a real source of contention between Paul Newman and the director, Stuart Rosenberg, because he tried multiple times and couldn't get it down. But then finally, when he did do it for the film, Rosenberg said he was glad that they waited and they gave him the time to do it because he said, quote, nobody could do it better. It's one of my favorite moments in the movie because it's so fucking good (laughs) like I just I don't even know how to say it otherwise just the fucking performance man it's so good like quietly kind of like singing the song to himself and playing the banjo he's crying there are tears slowly streaming down his face at one point he stops singing like a verse is over and then you see it on his face you like see him realize like oh I'm about to break down and start fucking sobbing so he starts singing again and like sings a little louder just to like distract his mind it's just just the way he was so in that moment i just fucking love it so much it's why it's one of my favorite moments in the movie
1: oh it's a great moment and this will lead to our igniting force for luke
0: right exactly
1: because right after this scene they're gonna go back out on the chain gang and you know do their work you know and Luke's there with everybody and the captain pulls Luke out of the chain gang and sticks him in the box for a couple of days so he doesn't get the urge to run to be at his mother's funeral now this he gets put in the box by one of the bosses and they're like Luke I'm just doing my job here and he goes that doesn't make it right this is the point right here that if they don't do this, I don't think Luke is driven to what he's driven to do for the rest of the movie. I think the way Paul Newman has played it, if they had just let him go out and work, he would have worked for it, kept being a model prisoner, and would have just done his time and left.
0: There's definitely a case to be made for that. I I mean, we'll never know, obviously. I think, especially with Luke, they did recognize that, A, he's very strong and smart, and B, he's not the best with authority. Like, he's he's not going too outside the box, but he has it in him to really rebel against authority, so they really just want to break him and make sure he doesn't try to escape. But I get what you're saying. I think there could be a case made either way that he he would have tried to escape had he not been put in the box or he he wouldn't have. It it could go either way. But there is certainly a case to be made for you create what you fear the most by. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you there.
1: You if you preemptively strike, you are going to create what you were trying to prevent.
0: Right. Exactly. So, yeah, they leave him in there in the box for like a couple days. And it's funny because when they go to let him out, I feel like Paul Newman made a a specific choice to stand the way he was standing when they went to take him out. Because when the boss goes to pull him out of the box, he's standing up, leaning against the thing, kind of like just, I've been waiting, bitch. Like, you know what I mean? Like he has a very, I'm not broken yet fuck you kind of stance which I think was done purposefully.
1: Well yeah I, as I said I think this ignited all that potential that was in Paul Newman's in Luke's character.
0: Right. Because he he's just done with this shit now. He's like fuck this. And he is determined now to escape. And the next scene we get Luke's first escape attempt. During the prison camp's 4th of July celebration Dragline actually distracts one of the guards while Luke escapes through a tunnel he made in the floor and he gets over the wall and is running around but he is recaptured soon after and thrown right back into the prison camp and fitted with leg irons but I wanted to mention at this point because you brought it up the score particularly when Luke was going through his escape attempts was like wonky for you.
1: Yeah, there there are moments in the score where we're focusing on Luke running, and the score will change to a point where it's like you get the music like you know the type of music when like something bad's right about to happen, and you're like, oh god, what's gonna happen? Like are the guards gonna appear right now and be like right on his ass? But that doesn't happen. Right. And then it kind of changes back quickly to the more oh, he's free, he's going, he's going, like, yeah, yeah, here we
0: go. That's, I, I definitely think that that was done purposefully to give the audience that tension feeling, like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Duh, 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 duh. I really love the score. I think it is very distinct and unique. And there are times throughout the movie where it really just elevates a scene that's already fucking great and brings it to another level. Like, I I feel like, In movies, generally, a score is supposed to kind of help carry a scene through to the emotional place where it's supposed to go. It's basically just supposed to be like a little transitional tool between emotions.
1: Yeah, okay, I can see that. The score is definitely meant to force you to have an emotion that the director wants you to have.
0: Right, and the best composers can do that without making it seem like the audience is being overly manipulated emotionally but this composer by the name of Lalo Schifrin he's legendary he did the scores for you're gonna like this all three rush hour films yeah but he's probably more well known for writing the mission impossible theme (laughs) guy's a legend and he definitely created a memorable score in this film for sure because we're, we're sitting here talking about it. So. Yeah. But once Luke is returned to the prison camp, the captain fits him with his leg irons and he gives a speech to the other prisoners kind of showing them Luke as an example.
1: Yes. And, uh, okay. So I knew this speech from before this movie, I didn't realize it was from this movie. Guns N' Roses has a song called Civil War. It starts with this speech.
0: What we've got here is failure to communicate. Some man you just can't reach. So you get what we had here last week, which is the way he wants it. Well, he gets
1: And I'm like, oh... So that's, that speech comes from, it's a good song. It's weird sometimes when you don't know where something is from and then you learn where it's from. It's like, oh,
0: hey. Yeah, (laughs) but the speech is really well known, particularly the first line of it, which is, what we've got here is a failure to communicate. This line wasn't in the book. Uh, They literally just wrote it for the movie It was voted the number 11 movie quote of all time by the AFI.
1: Yeah, that's not surprising. It's a very famous quote. I think it's been used multiple times uh, in different things. It's actually used twice in this movie.
0: Yes, it's used later kind of to turn it on its head, but we'll get there. But the captain is basically saying to the other prisoners, like, hey, if you try to escape, this is what's going to happen. And... Don't get it twisted. We fucking own you, bitch.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know everyone's glad, like Luke's back for a bit, and but uh, he's not staying long.
0: <laughs> no, because we immediately get Luke's second escape attempt.
1: Yes, where he goes off into the bushes to pee, and uh, they're like, "Oh, keep shaking the bush, so we know you're still there." he can get shot at a few times but he ties a string to the bush and just fucking shakes it as he's taken off and this time it lasts a little while longer
0: yeah he's able to go to this nearby house and saw off his leg irons and he spreads chili powder on the ground to stop the dogs from sniffing him out so the other prisoners are made to believe that Luke has really gotten away uh, especially when Dragline is mailed a magazine by someone and inside the magazine is a picture of Luke dressed in a fancy tux with two beautiful women on his arms. And the guys are all like excited about this picture and they they look at it like he did it. Yeah, exactly. It, it's Again, it's like iconography for them. Like they want to look at this picture to aspire to what they could be. And they look at him like their Messiah. That's It's very Jesus-y.
1: Oh, yeah. And eventually Luke gets dragged back in. It turns out he worked a couple of odd jobs. And one of his bosses found out and turned him in immediately.
0: Yeah, and they're like, but what about the picture, Luke? What about the picture with you and those beautiful women and all the booze and the fancy parties? And he's like, I fucking made up the picture and I sent it to you guys just, you know, for funsies. Like, it wasn't real. Now, okay. And they're all, like, pissed off at him and at one point luke screams at them he's like stop feeding off of me <laughs> like live your own fucking lives you want to fucking get out there and escape you go fucking do it stop idolizing off of me basically yeah now, So also again very Jesusly.
1: <laughs> now do you think that's actually true
0: what that he made up the picture
1: that he made up the picture
0: I think it's yeah I think it's possible you think that it's possible that it's it was real
1: I think the picture might have been real but at this point it doesn't matter if it's real
0: yeah and he's more like
1: he's back in the prison yeah
0: that's true that could be true
1: he's just so frustrated and so done That it just doesn't matter to him anymore. Yeah, and he just
0: doesn't... Like, they're all, like, annoying him because they look up to him so much. And he's like, why are you looking up to me? I'm fucking back here with you idiots. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like... I get what you're saying.
1: Like, he just wants these people to leave him alone. And the easiest way to make them leave him alone right now because he is so frustrated is to tell him that it's all a lie.
0: So we're in the thick of it now. The captain tells Luke... After his second escape attempt, he's like, if you try this again, we're going to fucking kill you on the spot.
1: And now proceeds to the point where we are going to break Luke down to itty bitty pieces. We are just going to break everything about this man.
0: Yeah, he gets thrown in the box for multiple days and the guards after he gets out of there they basically try to force feed him just a massive serving of rice he's like if you don't finish this serving if you don't finish your food you're going back in the box and the other prisoners despite the fact that they were pissed off at him before they see what he's going through and they reach over and they they all grab a little scoop of rice and try to help him yeah. finish it and that was a cool moment I liked that a lot
1: Yeah, I I definitely think that was still a cool moment. And they're about to get a break from the chain gang for some holiday. And literally, the guard looks at Luke and tells him, Hey, your dirt is in boss blah blah blah's ditch. Dig a hole, basically.
0: Yeah, they basically have Luke dig his own goddamn grave. (laughs) Foreshadowing. And then once he digs this fucking huge grave, the guards come back and they're like, oh, why is all this dirt out here? Get all this dirt out of the yard. And they have him fill the grave back up. And they just keep doing this process over and over again in an effort to break him.
1: For hours. Right.
0: And all the while, the prisoners are off to the side, led mainly by Harry Dean Stanton on his guitar. And they're singing spirituals to him.
1: They're watching him.
0: Yeah. To try and just keep his spirits up. But also looking to him as, again, their savior, their beacon. You know, he's still rebelling. He's still cool hand Luke. Like, he's not going to break. And eventually they are unfortunately let down because Luke does break. After hours and hours of digging and filling and digging and filling. And being beaten. Yes. He eventually just starts begging for mercy and crying. Please don't hit me anymore. I'll be good. I promise I'll do whatever you say. And the captain has a big shit eating grin on his face because he thinks he's won. He has broken this man and he owns him now.
1: Yeah. And finally, Luke goes back in. Everybody they've torn up the picture.
0: Yeah. They've lost their idealized image of Luke. At this point.
1: And Luke looks at them and goes, where are you now that I'm literally at my lowest point?
0: Yeah, they're all like, no one's helping him. Like, he falls over because he's so exhausted and beaten to shit.
1: Which is crazy to me because... they just
0: abandon him, basically.
1: Yeah, because you got to look at this, man. Everybody, no matter how great you are or how pure, innocent, blah, 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 you know... Everybody's got a point where you can't go anymore. Right, of course. Like he fought back. He got he got his ass kicked. He got knocked until if he had kept going at the and gone all night or whatever, eventually he's going to die.
0: So we go into the next day on the Chain Gang and Luke is yes sir bossing the hell out of all the guards he has become the prison bitch essentially he does whatever they tell him to do he's playing very very nice but what I love about this is there's really no build-up to it he's just kind of playing nice playing nice playing nice until he's not playing nice anymore and he's in one of the guards' trucks driving the fuck away.
1: (laughs) And he has stolen all the keys to all the other trucks. So they
0: can't chase him, yeah. Oh my god, it's great. And Dragline is standing off to the side watching all this happen and he just impulsively jumps into the passenger seat of the truck as Luke is driving away and escapes with him. Yeah. But, yeah, what I love about it is even Dragline says, he's like, nobody knew that you were playing them and that they really didn't break you and looks like no dragline they they broke me but they didn't get my mind right that's what he says so i was like they, they broke his body but not completely his mind you know what i mean yeah i loved that
1: it's a great line and the great speech this is the craziest part because dragline has this whole big plan now to go get coco out of the camp as which well
0: which is one of the other prisoners. His, like, little lackey.
1: Which would make zero sense because that means you'd have to go back to the camp and literally <laughs> Luke looks at him and goes, dude we're not uh, I'm done.
0: Like, we're, we're not buddy old pals here. He's like I'm going on my own, which is just another way of, like, him distancing himself from his disciples, so to speak. He doesn't have that close emotional connection to anyone. He just wants to go it alone.
1: Well, also, I think he also thinks that clearly Dragline has this grand scheme, grand plan to shake the world, and Luke knows that's not going to fucking work. Yeah. Because immediately after this, which we will get into the scene, Dragline's captured almost immediately
0: basically yeah so Luke actually ends up splitting up from Dragline and going on his own way and he goes into a nearby church and he he has a little private conversation with God essentially blaming him for making Luke the way he is and sabotaging his life so he can't win and what I love about this is I feel like people sometimes do just this they they don't look inward to the things that have gone wrong in their life they don't just chalk it up to bad circumstances and try to push forward they kind of give up and just blame god yeah and that's basically where luke is at in his life and he's i would assume been stuck at this point for a long time But he gets on his knees and he he asks God, he prays to him, what do I do? And he, again, like the argument scene earlier in the rainstorm, he hears nothing. And he goes, yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) And moments later, he hears the cops coming and Dragline kind of like uh, tiptoes into the church and he's like, luke (laughs) and luke looks up (laughs) luke looks up into the heavens and he's like really old man that's your fucking answer to me (laughs) i was like that's funny but dragline tells luke hey the cops are outside as as well as you know the the captain and the guards are outside from the prison and they all say if you surrender peacefully they won't beat you up and Everything will be fine. And Luke's like, mm, no, I don't really think that's true. I got a better idea.
1: And Luke opens the door a bit and goes,
0: what we got here is a failure to communicate.
1: And he's immediately shot in the neck.
0: Yeah. What I like about that too is that there's really no build up to that either. You kind of think that Luke's going to go on this whole monologue of like, fuck the police, you know, but instead the man with no eyes He just cuts him down, shoots him in the neck.
1: And Luke drops, and Dragline picks him up, carries him outside, and then immediately starts trying to fucking choke the man with no eyes because they told him, if you could get Luke to basically give up, we weren't going to kill him.
0: But Dragline is subdued by the guards, and as Luke is carried into a car you know bleeding obviously pretty heavily from his neck he tearfully begs luke to just live please don't die don't die and the captain is talking to one of the local policemen and he's like okay we're going to take him to the prison infirmary and the police guys like oh no we should take him to the local hospital right here cuz you know it the prison infirmary is like an hour away And the captain's like, what the fuck are you worried about? He's not your problem. He's ours. Bye. And basically ensuring that he's going to fucking die because he's got a huge fucking neck wound. He ain't going to make it an hour trip. So as Luke is being driven away, essentially to his death, he is half-conscious, kind of leaning over and looks at Dragline and gives a weak little smile like, I fucking stole him, bitch. And they drive him away.
1: And then Dragline gives the gospel of Luke.
0: Yes, exactly. Jesus! <laughs> Luke has sacrificed himself for not just his sins, but the sins of all the prisoners. And they still idolize him and look up to him to this day and they tell his story yeah and they're on the chain gang on the road and our ending shot is a nice zoom out of the chain gang working on the road and it just happens to be a huge fucking crossroads get it cross because jesus
1: well i also think
0: Beating you to death with the symbolism.
1: (laughs) Well, I also think it was on the road of the church that Luke gets shot at.
0: Yes, it was. The ending end shot is a faded picture of the photo of Luke with the two women in the tux, like taped back together. And it's faded over this crossroads.
1: And it zooms in onto his eye, which I thought was a mistake. They made such a point about his smile.
0: Yeah, no, I totally. Agree. That I think
1: it should have zoomed in onto his smile.
0: I agree, but yeah, that's that's how we end the movie with our makeshift messiah, Luke Jackson, and that was Cool Hand Luke. That was. So Scott, what did you think of this movie?
1: Um, it was great. It's a great movie. Paul Newman hooks you in immediately. And for a movie that doesn't have a whole lot of plot, especially the first hour, it is a great character study of this character, of Luke Jackson. Definitely. And it does an amazing job not, you know, not s- slowing the pace enough where you're like, oh my god, what am I doing? I was into the whole movie. Are some of the side characters a little forgettable? yeah. Even, like, the villains, like, are a little kind of forgettable.
0: I would agree with that. I would say that, I mean, this is Paul Newman's movie for sure. This is his vehicle, and he drives it very expertly. So, therefore, the other characters, while they do well, they aren't... As important as Luke Jackson, therefore they do kind of fall to the wayside and in some cases become forgettable. I I completely agree.
1: Like again, besides Dragline, if you had asked me to name another character in like a week, I probably won't be able to name another character in this movie. Right. Paul Newman does a great job. That smile is amazing. Uh. You buy into him as the messiah of these people. You buy into him as a broken man at a great deal of time when he is broken.
0: Yeah. This this is one of those movies that makes you want to explore other movies of Paul Newman's. Like, he, he obviously has a, a vast career, a lot of classic films that he's been in, and it, it just makes you want to see more of him.
1: And by God, did that man look old all the time? No. Like, he's good-looking, but he's he's got the salt and pepper for a while.
0: I guess, yeah. So what what did you give this star-wise, Scott?
1: I gave it a four and a half.
0: Okay, I gave it a four out of five stars. I think we pretty much are on the same page here, although I, I did know that you would probably like this even more than I do just because it's... Uh, a dude's movie. Not that girls can't like it. Obviously, I am a girl and I very much like it, but it's definitely a a dude's movie. Yeah, it
1: it it does have a lot of like fun moments in it. Like like it, fun moments. It's a prison movie, but it, yeah, it's got a lot <laughs> of you, you know what I mean? It's got a lot of moments where you're like, "Okay, yeah, this is really interesting." Yeah,
0: it's got a lot of damn that was good moments.
1: Yeah, exactly. And Overall, yeah. It's a great movie. I, I knock it for the little things I knock it about. But overall, yeah, I would enjoy it. It's my of 1967. It's my number three movie out of the five movies I've seen from 1967. Only behind the producers in Bonnie and Clyde. So
0: <laughs> alrighty righty then. So we had a a successful week this week, I would say, with our film that we watched. Uh, Next week, we are going to have our 4th of July episode. Scott is going to show me a movie that is very much Murica. Uh, So... Look forward to that next week. But until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm
1: Scott Eisenberg.
0: Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. And check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our patriotic, super duper movie adventure.
1: What we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> Look at your
0: young men fighting Look at your women crying Look at your young men dying where they've always done before.